All right, welcome back, everyone. This is the One Percent in Health podcast. Uh, last week we explored Clarissa's story. We're going to continue that today. We'll jump in in a minute here. Before, uh, please pay attention to the trigger warning and disclaimer. We are not professionals. Uh, some of our conversations do have triggers, so please read that before you listen or watch. All right, Clarissa, we're going to jump in back into your story. Um, Sweet. We were going to podcast someone else tonight, and uh, and uh, so we, we've put the heat back on to Clarissa. person wasn't feeling well today, so we will do that next week, and we're mm -hmm. excited to uh, to talk to him. And so we turn the, the spotlight back on to Clarissa today and put her on the spot. So Awesome. I love that um, we honored the condition yes. that our guest is having and allowed him to set those boundaries of what he mm -hmm. could do tonight. And if, since he can't, you know, we're flexible, and that's what we've all learned with yeah, our yeah. own. Thank you for pointing that out. Beautiful. All right, Nash, before we jump in, anything? How was your week? No, I'm I'm ready to rock and roll. I'm excited for this. Is Nash is putting himself on TikTok, guys. Go check it out. Yes. There's, There's a shower scene. You. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Clarissa, what are you doing next week yes. before we jump back into your story? Let's go over that real quick. Okay, so this Saturday is rehearsal for stage. So we're actually like setting all our intros and how we walk on and how we walk off. And then in two weeks, so two weeks from Saturday is my actual pageant. And so Yay. I get to, yep, one full day of interviews and rehearsals, another day of interviews, and then the public pageant where you guys actually see parts of it. Most people don't realize that like 80% of what happens in the pageant happens where you don't see, you just get to see the, the final performance. And when I got into the pageant system and realized what exactly you're missing. I wish that everybody could see it. So I'm hoping that I feel uh, healthy enough mentally to be able to take everybody on a ride with me and show more backstage and back scenes with uh, on my Instagram and stuff this is time it, around. Is it a year long engagement? Is it months before like explain? Yeah. So I applied in October for my title and um, you pretty much just pay money to get your sash and, that money goes towards the pageant. So like that's my entry fee. Mm -hmm. So this is like the base level. And then I'm competing for Mrs. Utah. And then um, if, if I don't win Mrs. Utah, my title right now is Mrs. Utah County continues till October. So okay. I can continue to be Mrs. Utah County all year until the new applications come out for people. Um, or if I win Mrs. Utah, I become Mrs. Utah for the next year starting mm -hmm the day of the pageant. Okay. Wonderful. <clears throat> but and you, then you put a lot of time into all this talk about hours. Coach, yeah, um, about the coaching you get, the preparation, the yeah. So I, I have a pageant coach to help me do well. We worked on posing. Um, we worked on posing in swimsuit and evening gown this past week. So like there, I mean, it, there's two different kinds of walks. There's your evening gown walk. There's your swimsuit walk. There's the walk you have to have when you come on stage for questions or what they call final looks. Um, we talked about how to enter into my interviews the day before, showing confidence but not arrogance. Um, we practice like she will just give me random questions mm -hmm. and I have to answer those according to my platform, which is to listen and know your body. So that's what I'm advocating for. And 
Um, hopefully, if I get Mrs. Utah or if I don't, I'll be doing workshops all year on different subjects of how women can listen and know their bodies. And that will be all over Utah and virtually. It's awesome. And, and wonderful. We just, we just had a conversation before the pack podcast started. It all comes down, all of this preparation, all the work, all the coaching, all the, uh, the parts of the pageant, you said it all comes down to one moment and that's the question. Yeah. So um, interview is 50% and then swimsuits 25% and then um, poise, your evening gown is 25%. Mm. And so the interviews are the day before and then you do swimsuit and evening gown on stage. When they announce the top 10 or top five, depending on how many contestants there are this year, there's only, I think there's only 15 contestants. Okay. So they're going to drop it from 15 to five first cut. So there's not two cuts. There's just one. And once they drop that down to the top five, they wipe the scores. And so the liter the winner is literally judged based on their final onstage question answer. And how do you that becomes a hundred percent talk about that's the most nervous thing to do? <laughs> well, last year I was just not prepared enough. It was my first time. And um, I actually lost the pageant on my final question. I was in top five. And so I took second runner up. I guess I didn't lose the pageant. I took second runner up. That's yeah, still pretty good. Yeah. And so this year I've been practicing a whole bunch answering questions in public and um, answering random questions. Doing and, podcasts and getting yeah, fired doing on. podcasts, this one, um, and a whole bunch of others to be, to just be comfortable enough to answer um, why it's a random question, but the idea is to draw it back to why being Mrs. Utah would be a benefit to my life's work. Hmm. Love that. Good. And so I'm ready. Awesome. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll be excited to watch your journey and, uh, and talk Thank about you. it on the podcast and, Thanks. and watch, I'm excited watch, too. watch you on TV and social media and all the good stuff. Yeah, it will be, um, you can get tickets now, but it will also be live on YouTube forever. So awesome. after about a month, sometime in April, they drop it on YouTube. And I usually promote that on my Instagram, which you can see, oh, down here <laughs> in the corner. And um, it's just live forever. So then you can go back and watch it. So if you wanted to, I guess you could go back and watch the pageant from last year too. There you go. <laughs> All right. So where did we leave off last time? We, you were in upstate. Yeah. So we, um, we lived in upstate New York and I actually had my first baby in upstate New York. Um, that was an interesting thing. The hospital was an hour away from our mm. little tiny house and it was about three rooms. The hospital was, it oh, was wow. very, very small. Three rooms. And, yeah. Uh, it, emergency room, a, a bedroom and a, a waiting room or something. Pro probably, probably. Um, it, it was a very traumatic experience. Wow. We were very, we were very underprepared as, you know, I was 21 and, um, we just were underprepared as new parents, but also we had a really terrible nurse and interestingly enough, it was a cultural clash. It wasn't necessarily, um, that she didn't know what she was doing. It's just how she was handling things. Mm. And, uh, it was a really crazy experience. I ended up giving birth naturally and I hadn't Gosh. planned on that. <laughs> and, um, 
you know, your first time being pregnant, for those that don't know, like your body doesn't really know what it's doing and it takes a long time and it's really painful. And so um, by the time I had Abby, um, I just was so tired. I like mm. didn't even want to hold her. It was just, mm. I was that tired, but she's amazing. And you know, she's super healthy. And I, I, I sighed like I knew what was going on. I don't know anything about <laughs> hey, it. You, you have been there. Like my husband had to take breaks. He had to I call watched, his mom. I watched, <laughs> yeah. I watched and got my hand held and that's <laughs> and squeezed. And... Yeah, and the closest I've ever been is like my sister. She has six kids <laughs> and she's an ER nurse. And so that's like everyday occurrence for her. But mm. what do you mean when it was a cultural difference? Um, just how she handled things. We would ask for things and she'd just be really point blank and that she can't give that to us. And she wasn't willing to negotiate with wow. us. I'm sure she just assumed we were young and naive. And, mm -hmm. um, I just remember like just begging my husband to find a different nurse, but there wasn't one. Right. Yeah. I hear you. <laughs> wow. Anyway. Um, yeah, lots of, a lot. So you had, you had, a, you moved into a house. Uh, yeah, you it described you went, went into a small hospital, um, traumatic experiences over and over, but yep. you know, and being young. At, at yeah. You know, and because I was young, I really didn't know that those were really traumatic experiences, mm -hmm. right? Like you're like, ah, that was not cool, but you kind of don't really know that there's a different experience mm -hmm. that you could have had, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, wife, and so and I went through the same thing. So it was, hasn't been until, you know, it wasn't until years later, like after I had my other baby that I was like, oh my gosh, like we totally should have like sued the hospital for some of the things we went through and, and, um, you just don't know. So, so you, they didn't, did they have the epidural ready or nope. why didn't, why didn't you get no, it? No, the, the anesthesiologist was three hours away <sighs> in a different hospital and there just wasn't, there wasn't time. And I think that there could have been time, but the doctor was kind of in a rush to get me out of there. And so he actually <laughs> broke my water without my permission. <laughs> that was a whole nother ball game. Wow. So anyway, um, after my daughter was about five months old, I returned to, I was teaching ballroom dance at a studio and I was driving home from teaching and um, I had a, which we really didn't even get to talk about my dance, um, how dance helped me. So I started dancing when I was 13 and just, I had begged my parents for dance. I had begged them, but we lived so far away from studios and they also didn't want me to do and dress any way that was against culture, right? Which we kind of talked about, like they were just, you know, just tight in standards, and so I didn't get to dance until I was 13 years old. And I, I mean, my parents would ask me, what do you want to do? And I would just cry. I just want to dance. I just want to dance. So um, I started taking lessons at 13. And um, when I was in high school, struggling mentally, dance literally was my only expression of what I was going through. And so it, I, I mm -hmm. consider dance saved my life multiple times. That's yeah. great. I'm glad it you was brought the, that up. One thing I looked mm -hmm. forward to, I'm sure now that I know the chemistry reasons, like I'm sure the endorphins and dopamine like totally helped, but it Identity. gave me an outlet, which I think you guys can relate to. It's an art form. Oh, it's an, it's yeah. a way of self-expression. Mm -hmm. um, I was head choreographer of my dance company in high school. Like I just, I thrived in dance. So um, when I went to BYU, I went in as a dance major. 
and I had just made it to the dance program when my husband graduated from BYU and uh, his work moved him to upstate New York and we had to make the decision, do I stay in Provo and finish my schooling or do I move with him? And we ultimately made the decision to move together to upstate New York. And so that's, that's how I ended up there. I wasn't done with school. So when my daughter was about four months old, I was driving home from teaching ballroom and um, I had this distinct impression that I needed to apply for school again. And I was like, uh, <laughs> this is, mm. you know, 2,500 miles away. And now I'm a mother. How am I going to handle that? So I applied for BYU without telling my husband mm. <laughs> and um, I got my acceptance letter saying, great, we'll accept you for this was. Uh, October and they accepted me for spring, spring semester, wow. summer semester starting in June. And so I had eight months to figure out what I was going to do. And so I drove home. This was an, I got my acceptance letter actually on my way home from another ballroom class. And I drove home and I said, okay, Dan, we've got to talk. And he said, oh good. Cause I've got to talk to you too. And I said, okay, you tell me first. And he says, well, mm -hmm. The economy is doing so bad. This was 2008. He said the economy is doing so bad that uh, our business is shutting down out here and we're moving back to Salt Lake. Wow. And I just was like, oh my gosh. I said, guess what? And he said, what? And I said, I applied to go back to school and I start in June. And um, mm -hmm. it was yeah, that was a really neat experience for us. Um, so we moved back to Utah and I started going back to school in person. And I, um, at that point, uh, because I was a mother, I didn't want to be gone from my daughter so long. So I switched majors and just did a minor in dance. And, um, I started on the BYU ballroom team and wow. thrived. I ended up competing professionally and doing very well. I was a, I was an amazing dancer. I still am, but like I was doing very well as a profession and I was looking to That's amazing. only, where only did, have where one did girl. You do it as a profession? Did you try have to travel or? Um, so at BYU, um, I was on the ballroom performance company okay. and then, um, I did, I did, um, BYU, uh, ballroom is really big in Utah. Mm -hmm. It's huge. So there's competitions everywhere in Utah, everywhere. Okay. but, um, traveled to Las Vegas a little bit for competitions. Yeah. Didn't travel very far. I mean, we were still pretty poor. I was going to school yeah. too, and a mom. Um, wow. but I was dancing about seven hours a day to mm. plus on top of my schoolwork, I went into personal finance. Um, anyway, just thrived. It, it wow. was just, I was doing so well. And, um, Let's see, 2010 rolled around. So it only took me two years to make it very professionally, you know, so all my, my, my desire to dance just paid off, right? I was willing mm -hmm. to work hard and um, we couldn't get pregnant. I was trying to get pregnant, but I was still dancing and we couldn't get pregnant. And so we made the decision for me to stop actually. And that was really difficult for mm -hmm. me considering like that's my outlet and mm -hmm. got pregnant with, got pregnant with my second daughter. And in that time, we then moved up to Roy, Utah, <clears throat> bought our very first house. It was like, I want to say it was $116,000 for a 3-2, which is really, really cheap. It was just right at the economy crash. And so mm -hmm. we bought a fixer-upper and we renovated it. And that awesome. actually started us into a history of fix and flips. We've done like 12 homes now and every wow. home we've lived in 
um, we have renovated and turned it into a beautiful, like I, I love the idea of renewing and refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of what I do with people's lives now as a behavioral health coach, right? Like we kind of mm-hmm. renovate lives, make something yep. that's old, that. just refresh and, re- and beautiful. Yep. But um, when we lived in Roy, I was cleaning the windows as we were renovating and I had a very distinct deja vu experience where I knew exactly what was going to happen in the next 24 hours. I knew the people I was going to meet. And I very clearly remember thinking like, okay, I know I'm in the right spot. And that's happened multiple times since then. That was one of the very first times, but I know when I have kind of a deja vu moment that I'm doing something right. And that so interesting. When I have deja vus, I feel like, okay, I'm finally back where I should be or I'm doing something right. Mm, yeah. it, it strikes me. It's, it's weird you even talk about it. That's awesome. That's cool. Um, I actually had one last year during the pageant. I, I had one, the hotel we were at, I knew exactly where to go because I had had deja vu. So like I knew I was where I was supposed to be. It was really cool. Yeah. I appreciate moments like that. I hold them very dear. Anyway, so I had like this awesome deja vu, but I was really struggling mentally. Um, We miscarried about a year and a half after we had moved there. And it was a crazy experience where as a child, I had had dreams of the hospital and the people that I would meet at that hospital. Hmm. And we would drive past, it was the Davis County Hospital. You can see it on I-15 mm-hmm. as you drive. Well, I had driven past it multiple times as a child going up to Idaho Falls to visit my grandparents. And I had had dreams. Every time we passed it, I had a dream that I would go to that hospital. I would know the doctors. I knew who they were. I knew the nurses. And well, I miscarried. And mm-hmm. when when my water broke in my miscarriage, I it instantly went from saving the baby to saving myself. It was a crazy experience as, as a kind of, you know, that animal instinct, that mother bear instinct, like Mm -hmm. I knew my baby was gone and it was time for me to take care of myself. Well, I totally bled out, passed out, pretty much died. Um, It was a terrible experience, but because I knew I had been at that hospital, I knew all the nurses, I knew all the doctors, I knew what was going to happen to me and I knew I would be okay. Mm. Crazy, crazy, crazy. I mean, that same dream for years. And this was all within how fast did that, that all happen? From when? From when when you water when you had the miscarriage. Oh, um, oh, let's see. It was probably like six PM to midnight. Okay. And then like I don't remember the, the whole night they had to do like a, a DNC on me and you know, mm. all the, all the stuff to make sure I was okay. But it was it was scary. Another traumatic experience. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of trauma. So after that, I kind of felt really hollow and empty. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in the middle of all of this, I was still having some mental health issues, but that really pushed me over the edge. It was really Mm -hmm. difficult and really hard. Um, I remember coming home from the hospital and it was, it was February 17th and there was a little bit of sun in the front room. And I laid on the carpet on the floor in the sun and just cried that I was just, I felt so empty. Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly left like that, that was an oops pregnancy. Like we weren't even planning on it. And I was surprised at how connected I had felt to that baby, uh, you know, in that experience, even though like. How far, how far along were you? Okay. I wasn't very far along. I was about 14 weeks. Okay. So 
not very far along. We laugh now that we think it was our third daughter trying to get here earlier. <laughs> she's our, she's our, uh, she likes to jump the gun on everything. And so we laugh that she was feeling upset that her sisters left her and she was just trying to make it down here earlier. <laughs> I like that you uh, found a way to cope with that. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes the stories we tell ourselves can be really yeah. helpful. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. We just, have, we just yeah. have to be really careful how we apply those. Yeah. So after that, I really struggled and I went to a doctor, you know, and he put me on antidepressants and he actually even put me on like an appetite suppressant. I had been, you know, really struggling to lose weight and couldn't do that. And, um, and it's not like I was ever like, well, I have to say, so I'm 5'10, I'm really tall. And, um, I gain about 80 pounds when I get mm -hmm. pregnant, just my body just holds on to everything. Um, and so that's, that's always hard for me. Mm -hmm. It's always difficult. And as a female, like how we feel about our bodies is really important to us. That's something that's kind of built into our nature because our bodies are what, you know, gives us life, right? Reproduction. And so we're kind of already gravitated towards that divinely, I guess, to say. That's kind of a feminine nature thing and to that's do. That's why you're on the podcast too, because we don't even know that this <laughs> is like, mm -hmm. amazing perspective. And uh, I love that. Great. Yeah. So I struggled, but when I took medication, I just felt like I was just like, you know, down here the whole time. Like I never felt happiness after that. And it was just really hard. So I went on and off different medications for years. Um, got pregnant with my third baby. We um, moved down to Saratoga Springs so that my husband could go back to school and get his master's degree. What year was this? Um, let's see. 2012, I think. Okay. How old um, were yeah. you? In at 2012. Oh, wow. You just asked her how old she was. Wow. Oh, I'm well, sorry. I, I, can, that's, <laughs> I don't have a problem with that. I just have to do the math now, right? I'm just Let's thinking see. of other women in your age group going, how old was she? You know, and I mean, yeah. the, you're talking about a lot to cope 20, with. 25, 24, somewhere oh. in there. Yeah. Um, maybe, no, it had to be a little bit. No, I think I was 26. Wow. Um, I had Ellie when I was 29. She's my mm. last. And um, something really this cool my, about that. My daughter's age, she's 26. That's just unreal to me. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. 10 years ago. And 26 is really young. And mm -hmm. uh, for the listeners, right, to have a second child and go through all that you've gone through. No, this, yeah, yeah. And, um, well, I was 28 when I got pregnant with Ellie. Okay, okay. Um, but what's kind of cool about the experience with Ellie is that, you know, and we joke about Ellie trying to come fast and that's why, and God was like, what, where'd she go? Like, no, it's not her time yet. Like, come back Ellie. <laughs> but when I was giving birth to my second daughter, my husband and I looked at each other. This was my second birth was a much better experience Good, by far. It was amazing. And, um, we looked at each other in the middle of my labor with her and we both said, there's one more. Mm. And she, Ellie was, we, we believe we really felt that Ellie was with us in that. Did you initiate that, 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 because I can't see the Dan would initiate that. Are you ready for another one? No, it was, <laughs> it was crazy. like, she was, she was there. Yeah. Wow. It was like, she was like just standing right with us. So after I had my miscarriage, I knew 
that there was one more. So it gave me faith and hope to try again. So I know that like God played a hand in letting me know that, you know, so cool. Or even just giving me the hope, right. That there was one. You you would think that would be the last thing you were thinking about at that time, but you guys were in a good spot. You had a good birth and and you recognized that at that moment. That's that's awesome. (laughs) It was so crazy. Cause I, I mean, I thought the same thing, like here I am giving birth and I'm thinking that there's another one like that. That Mm -hmm. was unheard of. So. Um, anyway, I had Ellie when I was 29. I had her on 11-11, almost mm. at 11-11. She is just, she meets all those. She's so mm. funny. She's my party planner. She's crazy. I'd love to talk about like each one of my girls sometime, but um, we'll do that. So that was in November, right? So November 11th, well, on Black Friday, so about 10, 15 days after I gave birth, I woke up and I was a completely different person. It was like night and day difference. I was like buzzing in my fingertips. I couldn't think straight. Like my head was foggy. I was very snappy. Like, and, and I knew it, it was crazy. And, um, I remember that clothes weren't feeling right. My parents wanted, my parents were visiting and they wanted to go to Cabela's for a Black Friday sale. And I could not find something that I felt comfortable going out in public with. Mm. And I, it was, it was kind of scary. It was that much of a difference. It was so scary. I, I wonder the chemistry of PMDD. We don't really know what causes it, but all of your emotional regulation is in your prefrontal cortex. And they are discovering that there is a lack of activity in your prefrontal cortex when people have higher sensitivity to hormones um, or have had trauma. Mm. And so, I mean, literally, like I could not control my emotions. They were just, Mm. I was, I felt like, and it wasn't related until me later that this is what PMDD is like, but PMDD is like a raging alcoholic. Like, that's just like, you cannot make decisions you and, um, is it, is it momentary? Is it a day? Is it a week? What, what is it? Well, it's a little bit different postpartum postpartum means after having a baby, because your hormones are still trying to regulate from thinking that you were pregnant or being pregnant for so long. So that's why a lot of women get, um, postpartum depression is because as their hormones try and regulate, they get a huge downtick in serotonin and the ability to uh, um, think straight because they're giving up a lot of their sleep, which is when our brains heal and our bodies heal. And so I think it was a mix of postpartum depression and PMDD. We just didn't know that at the time. So we just considered it postpartum depression. Um, So that was Black Friday. And then I struggled all through December. Like I would just cry. I would just sit on the couch with my baby and just sob all day. Would it come and go? Would it come and go? Or I mean, was it just emotions all over the place? Um, um, I asked both because I'm bipolar and it, yeah, you know, it comes in cycles. And so it was it was in and out, or is it just constant? Just there was always kind of an underlying um, feeling like I was going to burst, but. Mm-hmm you wake up in the morning and you have a little bit more willpower, right? Or if the sun's shining, I tend to feel a little bit better. Um, um, But by the end of the day or like trying to get dinner on the table and plus you guys have to understand I'm adjusting to a third child. Mm -hmm. I don't have three arms. I don't have three brains. I have three eyes. I have, you know, like I only have two legs. Like it was just really difficult. Um, So I did a lot of 
sedentary living for about six weeks where I just struggled. I, and I would watch Nacho Libre because it would, it was the one thing that would make me laugh and I would laugh. And then like, it would just kind of wash over me. Like, how dare you laugh? You're feeling so crappy still. Like, and I couldn't, I couldn't justify that. Like inner dialogue. I, I could be happy and sad at the same time. Like I didn't know that that was a thing yet. Um, anyway, so my anniversary rolled around, which is January 5th. And, um, I was, I found myself packing my bags in my closet. Mm -hmm. So I (laughs) truly believe that my, I was the problem and my family would be better off without me. I didn't know what I was going to do. Didn't know where I was going to go. Um, and I was packing my bags and my husband was like, this is not right. This is not right. And I was like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. I mean, I was so sold on it. And he's like, okay, well, at least come in. Let's make a phone call to your old doctor and see what he has to say. And then, um, and then we can decide what to do. And I was like, okay, but I'm still leaving. <laughs> that was a great. So safe. can I interject something really quick? Yeah. I just have this thought in my head, you know, you're doing this and, you know, with other women too, I mean, they were in the same position you are and you add, let's think, let's be real about it. You know, during the holiday season, they're probably drinking alcohol on top of it, you know, yeah, or whatever else it may be. Talk about a fire Ferris wheel, you know, if they're going through what you're going through, having that glass of wine or some eggnog and then holidays and the kids and decorations. Holy moly. Yeah. And, you know, I was in, I was in the middle of the holidays too. Like that Christmas is just dark to me. I don't even, I don't even know what went on that Christmas. Like I can't even recall it. Yeah. Cause I mean, you have everything you, you know, you kick off the big holidays from Halloween all the way through, you know, (laughs) I mean, it's, and you got kids and you naturally, you know, trick or treating and Thanksgiving family. I mean, wow. I mean, once again, I, I can't even imagine what you were going through. Did you have a hard time sleeping too? Or was your sleep all wrecked? Oh, yeah. In fact, you know, I I didn't get to talk about, I I experienced some postpartum (laughs) depression with each one of my pregnancies. So we kind of knew it was coming, but you know, Mm -hmm. I thought I'm taking care of myself. I'm exercising. Like I'm, I'm going to beat the odds. You know, that's Mm -hmm. all they tell you to do and you'll be just fine. I was not fine. I was not okay. So were you just like stay at home mom or did, were you working? Yeah, at, this, you doing- at this point I was just a stay at home mom. I had been. So no since- dancing, no school, just nope. the kids in the well, family. Okay. I take that back. I okay. was a ballroom coach at the elementary school Okay. Um, for two years right. right before Eliza was born. So actually I missed my last concert because I was in labor. <laughs> All right. I had to call in the moms to take over because I couldn't mm-hmm. make it because I was in labor with her. So, I mean, I was doing some sort of community arts type, you know, expression, but it just wasn't, it wasn't me moving really. It was me teaching. Right. Um, and that was a great little outlet for me for a while, but overall, but you had a big old plate full any way you shook it. You had a big yeah. plate full, but Huge. I didn't, I didn't know that, you know, you hear right. people being so capable and I'm wondering why God gave me such a small capacity and all this time, like every time I struggled, I'd be like, God, you told me like, everybody told me this was going to go away and it's not. And why am I so broken? And what, it, you know, what can you I, what was going to go away? my hormonal fluctuations, like my emotion, my emotional fluctuations, you know, it's supposed to, well, when I was a teenager, when they didn't know what was going on, Mm -hmm. they said like, Hey, 
she's probably just maturing. She'll grow out of it. She'll become mm. more stable as her hormones, you know, as her body finishes growing. And it, that just never really happened. Okay. So what did the medical professional say? Or did you even go back? Oh, or what were you man. doing? Or was it just a, a grab bag kind of thing? That's actually a really good, that's a really good insight. Um, when I, when we were first married, so it, when I had, when I had my first and we were back at BYU, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I was having severe like PMS symptoms and um, <laughs> menstrual cycle symptoms, like physically, like I was in so much pain. I was on the floor, just yeah. in so much pain. And, and I can't wait to have a discussion about what PMDD is and the science behind it. Like that's, you know, we're telling my story right now, but I can't wait for the episode where we actually can dive into whys. But I went to a doctor and I actually just yesterday drove past that doctor's office with my daughter. So my daughter's having some health issues right now. And we went to get her some x-rays yesterday and she was feeling emotionally wiped out after being at the doctor. Mm -hmm. And um, we drove past that doctor's office yesterday and I told her of my experience that I had. I went to see a doctor that had been recommended to me and I went in and he like pushed on my uterus and like asked me a whole bunch of questions and did like a pelvic exam, which, you know, is kind of invasive for a female Right. and left and came back into the office and said, this is all in your head. Go home. And I was like, this is not all in my head. And he no. says, this, this is some, this is chronic. You're going to have this for the rest of your life. Just go home. This is all in your head. I was so upset. And after that, it was really hard for me to trust any medical professional. Absolutely. Um, even though, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. I had had that bad labor experience, but like, this was like, this is supposed to be a doctor who listens to me. So I'm really wary about the doctors that I trust. And I shop a lot for doctors now. Um, I have a great team now and I'm very pleased with my team, but that was, you know, an experience. I was told it was all in my head. I was told, um, just take birth control and it will solve everything. But birth control is really just like a bandaid. It doesn't really <laughs> And, you know, and we talked about me taking birth control when I was engaged, like it, it made me crazy. Um, just messing with my own body chemistry. It made me really crazy. Um, anyway, so uh, we called my psychologist. He's, um, this was on. Saber, you okay? Yeah. No, I, don't, I, don't right? know what, I don't know what's happening to me. <laughs> <laughs> you can always mute your microphone right there and then cough and we okay. won't hear it. Can you, can you guys hear me cough? Yeah, we're, we, a little we, bit, we but not when you're away from the mic. But you're choking on a cat or something. I don't know what's happening. I've lost my voice. I'm coughing frantically, <laughs> so I apologize. I'll put on myself on mute. See, it's <laughs> the light. First, it's today. the light, <laughs> then it's Sabe. It's always something. When we get it's into okay. good stuff, something goes it's all on. All right, it's good. Are you okay, Sabe? I'm okay. Okay, I'll let you guys talk for a bit. Okay, go on, Clarissa. Um, let's see. So my psychologist who happened to be the psychologist from when I was a teenager, that's who, that's who we had just reached out to your cousin mm -hmm. just walked past Abe. And, um, we, um, he said, okay, well, I want you to go see my understudy who now is head of the department. I want you to go see him. But he, um, 
he had like a waiting list that was like three months long. So I had to endure for a couple months. So he gave me some options. My, my previous psychologist, he said, number one, I need you to stop nursing. He says, when a female stops nursing, your hormones are going to regulate. Um, number two, Dan, my husband needs to take over some of the night feeding so that I can get some sleep. Cause if I even lose one night of sleep, I'm like a psychotic, I'm crazy. Um, I really, I really have to have my sleep. And so we started doing that. Um, my, my baby was having some issues actually. And so we were in the middle of, I'd have to go every day to the hospital to get her heel, her blood taken. And we had to go to primary children's multiple times to get her hips x-rayed and her to see if her kidneys were okay. Um, and when we started bottle feeding her, she actually got a ton better. So there was something happening between my inability to nurse her well and my hormones and her body's development. So it was actually a blessing all around that I stopped nursing because it allowed her to thrive. She was actually not thriving. Like she would sleep almost all day. She just wasn't developing. It was crazy but all a godsend. So within a couple of weeks, my baby was doing so much better and I was doing a lot better, but just mm -hmm. still was struggling. So I started seeing my psychologist in about March and March, April, May, June, July rolls around. I'm still having issues. I still feel like I just want to leave. I mean, he, he was, and my husband did a great job helping me, uh, stay and helping me like this will pass this. He's so good with this will pass. Um, my physical anxiety attacks are very severe. You know, my physical symptoms, my inability to breathe. Um, anyway, that's that's kind of a vulnerable area for me as well. Um, curl up in a ball, get in a dark corner, um, you know, sob, rock back and forth. I I kind of lose control. Like I, I'm, I drool a lot when I'm having an anxiety attack because I just can't even. I, I have no physical ability to control what is happening. And so we try and minimize that as much as possible. Um, those, those attacks still happen probably once or twice every three months. I'm thankful for at this, you know, now I have some medication to help me with that, but back then we just didn't know what was going on. Um, but therapy are, are anxiety attacks. I missed. Yeah. The, yeah. I, I, was a, I was a mess for the last five minutes. That's so, okay. You're great. So these are anxiety. <clears throat> yeah. So in, uh, social anxiety, especially showing up at church, um, the pressure to be on time, look perfect in that cultural that we have created. And so one of the very first things my psychologist and I addressed is that we do not have to be on time for church. It was a mm -hmm. huge thing. And just that one tool of switching around uh, how I was thinking um, really helped me and still helps me today during PMDD episodes when I want things a certain way so that I feel more in control because I'm so out of control in mm -hmm. my body that I want everything outside of me to be in control. It's eerie how similar we are. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm literally a self-righteous prick because we're not on time to church. It ruins, so, yeah. it ruins, it ruins like the whole Sunday. I have a question for you. So, um, yeah. Have your children ever seen you have one of these attacks? Oh, man. I, for you, like, you know, I, I told somebody the other day, I did not know that my condition, the thing that I was trying to hide the most would be the thing that brings me together with the most people. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and when my girls were young, I, I was able, I, I, like I said, I'm so good at having a front stage and a backstage. I'm so good at, which is really sad. I want people to see a very genuine side of me, but growing up because of how I grew up, I was really good at showing front stage and backstage and that my front stage needed to be perfect. (laughs) And my backstage was very messy and it was hard for me to show my girls my backstage, especially because they were so young at that time, as they Mm -hmm. have gotten older, like um, with this pageant, there has been a lot of pressure in this week. I've suffered a little bit and I've had, moments where I've had to stop in the grocery store and shed a few tears and breathe because I'm going to have a panic attack in the grocery store (laughs) and we don't want that to happen. And, um, they're so good with knowing that what I'm going through and to just hold my hand and tell me, you know, just breathe mom, it's going to be okay. Um, because when I'm to the point now where when I am feeling emotions like that, I can talk through them. I am feeling so angry right now. I'm feeling so overwhelmed. There's so much going on. Like I process outside so that my girls aren't second guessing if they are in trouble. Um, and that's something I have learned through cognitive behavioral therapy is to process outside of myself to show my girls I'm trying to manage my emotions. I can't control them, but I can manage them and manage how I react. Like, I'd really like to yell right now. I'd really like to punch something right now, but I'm not going to. I'm going to go take a time out or I'm going to go get in the bathtub and take a bath or I'm going to go put on some music and go dance downstairs. I have a studio in my house. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go dance downstairs for a little while, blow us some steam and then I'll be back upstairs. You know, like they're so good um, with me now, but they still haven't seen a severe anxiety attack. Those usually happen when I close the bedroom door. Is this, we've talked a little bit about a cycle. Is this during a cycle? Is this random throughout the month? How, How explain that a little bit. Yeah. So if, so PMDD, and I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out where the pieces fit here, how I wanted to say this. Yeah. Um, we did not know it was cyclical until um, my period came back after I was done nursing my baby, my third. Okay. And then we started noticing that things were falling in line. Like it wasn't all the time. And so actually I started keeping a calendar mm. of when, of my moods, just, just, Random, like just insight random. Mm, Love that. Um, And we started noticing that they kind of all clustered together around the same time. As long as I wasn't eating a bad diet or as long as I was taking care of my body, things were pretty cyclical. If I start neglecting my health, it becomes like all month long. Mm-hmm. because my hormones are just all over the place from, I mean, what we eat, our body becomes what we eat. So if I'm eating junk, if I'm not exercising, um, my body just really struggles with that. You're getting the, you're getting the attack that I got It's <laughs> in the throat and then it goes in the stomach and then you start coughing and you interrupt the podcast and you ruin the whole thing. <laughs> Why? He didn't, he didn't ruin anything. Same. <laughs> um, so, okay. So, I'm having insomnia. I'm having massive headaches, um, like beating my head against the pillow. Like I hurt so bad um, because of headaches. The insomnia, I like, I would get up at like two, three in the morning and go work out. After This is after my third baby. So she was like six, seven months old, right? And one night I was on Google 
and I was Googling my symptoms. I was just so tired of being like, I'm still having these symptoms. I'm in therapy. Like I'm taking medication. What is going on? And I came across a group chat on a forum. I don't even remember where it was. And there was the acronym PMDD. And I, I just started doing research. I dove right in. Do you so, remember the website? <clears throat> no, no. It was a, like, it was literally just a Google search. Okay. And so then I started Googling PMDD and I came across a website called IAPMD.org, hmm. which I'm actually a partner for awesome. now. And um, if how, like, did, how did you feel when you found it? Oh my gosh. That's what I want to know. Like, like just right. Like, Oh yeah. Oh. Look at your face right now. Yeah. Like those are all my symptoms. Like, Holy cow. There's other people with something like, like what I'm having. Um, at this point I was about 30 and, um, I took it to my doctor the next week. I took it to my psychologist and I said, okay, what is this? I think this is what I have. And he said, oh my gosh, this was something that was just barely put in the diagnostics manual in the past two years. Wow. And so he pulled out, it, I think it's diagnostics five. I think that's mm. the, that was the version they were on. And sure enough, he pulls out PMDD and he reads the description. He Love says, Abs absolutely. What this timing. is what you have. Yeah. So, you know, 20 years wow. of having cyclical mental health symptoms that make me suicidal, make me just craze balls, physical symptoms, sore joints, bloody gums. Uh, my eyesight really gets like, I have to wear my glasses during that time. Uh, foggy brain, just inability to sleep well, but I need extra sleep. I mean, just crazy things like that. And we finally had a label. Now, I don't think labels are the best thing sometimes because I feel like we overdiagnose a lot in our culture. Um, and then we kind of can get stuck on being a victim of that label, right? And so I was really hesitant for that. But at the same time, it knocked out a lot of other options and allowed me to at least venture down a path to see if that's really what I had. And um, this cool website, IAPMD, had just barely started a couple years before. They are from the UK. And I don't, you know, it was just a godsend that I came across them and I just bookmarked it and I would just keep in touch. They had like, they were, they were so small. They had maybe like a hundred members of the organization. Wow. And now they have over a hundred thousand members Whoa. in just the past six years. Wow. Um, they are huge. They're all over the U.S. They're support groups. Um, like I said, I'm a partner with them. So anything you buy from my shop on my website, a portion of the proceeds goes to them. Um, I've that. been fe I've been featured on their blog. Um, it, they're they're an amazing organization, and they are fighting to get this information out. And I've loved watching them grow because I'm growing at the same time with all the new science in that. So once I got a diagnosis, and things started, you know, I was kind of able to take some things out, but because it's so new, there still is a lot that we don't is, know. Is there medication for it? Is it therapy? What is it? Yeah, good question. So um, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, tends to work really well with somebody who has PMDD um, because it's we can't control our brain, but if we can remember the tools and apply those, uh, we tend to do just, you know, this much better, right? Just 10% better. And that, that can keep us alive from, from, you know, taking our own life because you literally be, it's like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. 
Like I wake up and I'm a, I'm a totally different person or I'll start the morning out and I'll be like, oh, I can feel it coming. And by the end of the night, I'm just a mess. I, I have two questions for you really quick. Yeah. How much sleep do you need to help you? <laughs> and then the other question is, do you know other women here in Utah and do you meet with them? Do you visit with them mm. that are local? I mean, cause you're running for, you know, Miss Utah. I think this is such a huge platform yeah. that a lot of women go through that we as men, we have no clue about this, you know, and I'm just amazed that you have gone through this and how, how far you flourished, you know? Thank you. Thank so you. So those are my questions. Yeah. You have to remember at this time, I was still hiding everything, right? Oh, yeah. Like mm -hmm. I still looked perfect at church and if I couldn't be perfect, I wouldn't go to church because it was just too much stress. So I was learning how to allow myself to not be perfect, which I think was a lot of how I grew up, right? I was, mm -hmm. I was, I was, um, unlearning how I was nurtured as a kid, but I was also, I mean, that was also in my biology too. So that's kind of interesting for me as like it, it was coming from both ends. Um, okay. So sleep, um, when we sleep, our body takes out the trash. It helps us, um, it helps our hormones regulate. Um, and so having insomnia made that kind of crazy. Um, I usually need about eight to nine hours of sleep um, on a normal basis. <laughs> on a good day, I can get away with about seven. But um, during my specific luteal phase where I have these PMDD symptoms, mm -hmm. uh, I, need, I need usually nine to ten. So I'll take a nap during the day. I have to really slow down, which is hard for me because I am a high performer that likes to get things done. Um, so that's really difficult. So I kind of have four different phases every month and every week brings a different superpower, which I have discovered. And it's been really cool to you. like happen, yeah. but I have to change all the time. Like I'm constantly changing. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the sleep end of things. When it comes to discussing with women, I, one in 12 women have either PMDD or PME. And that's only who are diagnosed. I cannot mm -hmm. imagine how many people are undiagnosed Great. and they just need somebody to tell them like, this is, this is a common symptom, but it's not normal. And there and they, is somebody. They, think they have what? What do they think they have? Uh, depression or that they're just broken or that they need to go out and get a career that mm. that will solve things um, to, to have performance. Um, it could look like. Oh, having another child, like needing to have a purpose. Um, they, but most people don't know how to sit with themselves, mm -hmm. right? Um, 80% of women who are diagnosed with PMDD or PME have had past trauma in their lives, whether it's one big T or multiple little T's. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're showing that that is a common thread in most PMDD symptoms. So, I mean, when you look at how I grew up, like, yeah. <laughs> like right. I can see how maybe that like turned a switch on on my genes where that's now manifesting, letting me know mm -hmm. like, Hey, there's something wrong with your body. Um, yeah. anyway, this is powerful. I'm what so, is so cool is, awesome. is that I am able to now know when I have certain symptoms, I can pinpoint exactly what most of the time, what hormone is off kilter 
or what I need to do in order to rebalance and reset myself. And that's what I teach women in my coaching is how to just listen to their bodies and understand that our bodies are just giving us messages. Like they've never had a spirit in them and our spirits have never had a body. And so they're just learning how to be together. <laughs> yeah. I, I have another question. It's kind of a big question. Do you think that maybe your daughters will have this? <laughs> and if they do, how will it affect you? What will you, what, how will just with you in Ooh, general? That is a big question. I, right? I'm sorry. I know it's a big question. No, I, I love I just, it. Yeah. I love it. Um, before my girls were developing into teens, right? Before like their reproductive uh, hormones started being produced in their bodies, I would kind of fear the mm -hmm. day. Like I, th I promised that I would have all my crap together before I had teenage teenagers because I know how emotional girls can get. But now I recognize I was over emotional because I was dealing with PMDD um, and mental health issues. But I also know now like my crap won't be together before <laughs> I have, yeah, because I have teenagers okay. and my yeah. crap's not together. Um, but um, I see certain things in my girls that sometimes give me like red flags but I have to remind myself that there's so much new science out there. There's so many good things out there and that I cannot project my trauma onto them. No. So I am just treating them as if everything's just fine. I do, you know, I do see like some things popping up here and there, but I try not to jump the gun because I want to make sure that they don't take a label and become a victim. Um, but that they're also very educated. They're like hormones and periods and emotions are a heavy topic in our house. I'm not, everything's an open book for them. Like I, I talk to them about everything so that they, they can know. Let's I'll talk say this, you know, really quick. quick. I think you're an amazing mom. I think you were just friggin' fantastic. You and your husband Thanks, have done Nash. a great job. I, I, I applaud you. You know, I am every, um, every parent. It's difficult, but you got an extra helping and you have just navigated you. through it. Once again, congratulations. You know, <laughs> thanks. You're, still you're, making you're it. such a good supporter. I, because of how I grew up, I knew I wanted to be a different parent. And so I actually yeah. have really studied parenting. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I love to say is that my child, I'm not raising children. Children are raising, my children are raising parents. Mm -hmm. And so I try and make sure that I, I cater to my daughters, uh, in parenting styles, not cater as in like they're spoiled, but just to be aware of them and to realize mm -hmm. like they are sending me messages all the time of their feelings, of their thoughts. And I'm only there to be their coach, to guide them and have, I have so much faith in my girls. I think that they're amazing. And, um, Let's talk God about that. So trust me a lot. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's talk about two things you've said. I want to talk about your supporting cast. I want to talk about Dan mm, and your I love that. And your girls. And then let's also talk about um, you know, Nash asked a very important question. And and a lot of us who have conditions sometimes don't want to have kids because we don't want to pass those conditions on. But you've said some things that you feel like you have some superpowers in these four stages of your month. So let's talk first about the supporting cast yeah. and what it, what it takes. Are you able to bring the backside and the front side together and be you 
BU, right? <laughs> let's, let's go there first. Okay. I was just talking about front stage and backstage. Um, I have a little coaching, I call it the coach in your pocket on my website. And any of my clients can access a web page where I just have you, a YouTube playlist that has all these like tidbits and tools that I teach. And I was just talking about front stage backstage this week. And I talked about the first time that somebody outside of my family came into my house when I was having a PMDD episode. Mm -hmm. And I begged my husband to not let them in. It was our dear friends from down the street. And I just, he called him because I was really having a rough time. This was after, this was when my third baby was born. It was around Christmas time. And he called him and he just said, I can't do this on my own. Let's get him in here. You know, I need, I need some support. And um, they came and um, it was really difficult for me. Like I, I just begged my husband, please don't let them in. I don't want anybody to see me like this. And through that vulnerability, we now have lifelong friends. And that was the very first time that I had let somebody outside of my parents and my husband see what I was going through. Like literally nobody else, not even my brothers. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure they had some sort of idea, but they, they had never seen. I was too ashamed of my brokenness, what I thought was broken. And after that point, um, it really stemmed something in me to relax on my perfection. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not perfect at not being a perfectionist. Like I still find that I want to be a perfectionist, especially during PMDD. Cause like I said, I've, I feel so out of control on the inside that I want everything to be in control on the outside. Um, but I'm getting better at that. And, um, after that, it was a little bit easier for me. I started sharing things in social situations that I was going through or experiences that I had. And I started realizing that as I was more vulnerable, I became more confident in um, what, I, what I was experiencing. And as I did more research, I realized like there had to be more women out there like me. Mm -hmm. um, and as I did the research, I actually... Um, was asked to teach a fitness class. So this was, you know, I was 31. My baby was about one and a half and I was asked to teach a fitness class at our church. So it was just free. It was just the neighborhood ladies going over and lifting weights. We'd all bring our weights. We actually would bring them in like roller suitcases because we had to bring them all in. We couldn't store them at the church Love and, um, or like, or like a portable coolers with a handle so they could nice. wheel them in. That's and awesome. um, I started teaching and I just, I fell in love with teaching and fitness. Fitness is movement. It's a lot like dance, right? And so um, I started certifying in a lot of different formats, some dance fitness formats, weights formats. Excuse me. Um, I started certifying in bar, which is like ballet dance fitness. And um, then that led me to becoming a personal trainer. Like it was just one thing after another. And then once I was a personal trainer, like I couldn't get my body to change. And I realized that physically I needed food to change. Like, and so I then became a nutrition coach. Mm. Once I had those two certifications of personal trainer and nutrition coach, it was like, I was late. Well, Oh man, I need to tell you this story. This is kind of, this is kind of a side note, but it's really important to this. No, go on. So I had started a floral business <clears throat> and, um, when I was 20, 23, I started a floral business and I did it out of my home. 
I love floral design and I was a very successful business, but I, it did not, I needed my kitchen because <laughs> there were always flowers in my kitchen. And so I closed it. And when I closed it, I really struggled because I had put my identity into who I was in my career, right? Like I was the florist <clears throat> in the neighborhood. Everybody came to me. It made me feel important. And after that, I just didn't know what to do. So one night I was laying in bed and I was crying because I was just so lost. And my husband said, what do you want to do? And I said, you know what's crazy? The one thing I want to do is I just want to teach women. I don't care what I teach. I don't care if I teach dance. I don't care if I teach gardening. I just want to teach women. That's all. Uh, little, like, you know, like I said, little did I know it was going to be because of my, because of my mental illness, my behavioral mental illness that I would be connecting with women. Cause at that time it was something to hide. So the physical fitness side, the personal training side came two to three years after that, after that experience. And, um, so I started teaching those fitness classes, but then I started studying nutrition and I realized how important it was going to be for me. It wasn't even to be a nutrition coach for other people. Like I, as I studied nutrition, I was like, oh my gosh, my body needs this. And I hadn't even related it to PMDD until after I had had both of those certifications and I started meeting with women. Uh, this was about the early days of Zoom. So it was right when... Zoom had just became yeah. a thing. And I started meeting with women virtually and I realized like, oh my gosh, these women are kind of having the same symptoms as me. So I started sharing my story. Let me ask you this. Did you feel like you were healing at this time? Um, at this time, I still had hopes that I would have a cure. Okay. I had hopes that if I exercised and ate perfect, that I would have no symptoms. Okay. That did not happen. There's um, so, so much more to talk about. Wow. Yeah, I know. We, we're, we can we're go. Gonna, we're going to do more on this. Good. I'm so excited it. because what I really want to talk about is the things that I do, the things that I know I'm in control of, and how mm -hmm. to those things when I have a good day, I prepare for the bad days on my good day. And we'll have, yeah. a, we'll have a side um, podcast with I'm Dan. I'm so excited. To, to talk about oh. the supporting cast, right? Because yeah, I would love yeah. to talk about finding, you know, finding our team and what that needs to look like and yeah. why that's so important, but also to realize like your partner in this, whoever they are, they're going through their own traumas because of you. And so you have to think in multiple perspectives of the actions you are taking and your why, like my why is not just for me. My why is because my girls and my husband are part of this team and they will be directly affected if I do not take oh, care so, of myself. Uh, mm -hmm. Nash just fell in this chair. Yeah, my chair. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited it kicked it. I love it. It's a great story. It. Gosh, how can you not love this? Well, we, let, let's, let's end here, but thank you so great. much for sharing your story. You've got a big two weeks. We'll figure out when to, uh, when to how to keep these going and um i i applaud you we're gonna we're, we are gonna get back to how this has yep. given you purpose and how this has given you um something to give back to and and how how you know i i really do my my wife and how she supported me and my family in my bipolar disorder and and how your family is is supported you i want to dive into that in the in yeah. episode because 
they're our heroes, right? Yeah, they are. They are. And they they seriously are why I'm still alive. You know, they're why I choose yeah. to live and they're why I am still living. And, you know, in a caveat to that from the last episode, I have to say my parents are some of my best friends. So even though I grew up really struggling with them, mm-hmm. they are some of my best friends. And I would love to be able to share with you in that team building episode of why I chose that. Yeah. Well, I say so you're glad. a hero too. Yeah, Don't forget that. Yeah. You they, are they, a hero. They, applaud yourself. They, they, oh, I'm you applauding up. you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm so glad we've been able to come together. This is lit, literally in the last three months, this has all transpired that all three of us have come together. I think we make a great fit. I'm definitely an amateur <laughs> podcast. <laughs> coughing all over the place. The lights are right. going out, and, but what, we're real. We're doing great things. We're going to talk about, how uh, we thrive with our conditions. And that's the purpose of this podcast. So thank you so much for opening up again. We will continue. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thanks everyone. Thank you.